Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for the privilege of being here at camp meeting this year. It's so wonderful, Lord, to catch up with our friends, to see each other again, to enjoy the weather and hopefully stay dry, especially for those who are tenting. But Father, you know why we come here. It's because we want to meet up with you. We want to see your face in a deeper and your character in a more profound way. We want to be within the reach of a very special blessing that you promise at the tent of uh, tabernacles, at the meeting where you've instructed us to gather every year to praise you, to bring you gifts and offerings, and then you promise to meet here with us. And so I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And now as we take a few moments to consider the topic of surrender, I know, Lord, that unless you are here by the power of your Holy Spirit, um, nothing will really be gained. But we know you are here because you promised, and so we invite you in a powerful way that each and every heart and every ear that hears this message will hear what the Holy Spirit expressly speaks to them personally, not necessarily the words that I'm speaking. So now, Father, I pray that you would make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place, and then from this thing so so common and so small, hang a bright picture of your beautiful face, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So surrender, is that kind of a really big topic? So I have a question for you. Um, what does surrender look like to you? When you think about the word surrender, do you have a picture that comes to your mind? Or maybe an event in your own personal life? where you surrendered. Do you remember the first time you surrendered your heart to Jesus? Have you ever surrendered your heart to Jesus? Maybe most of us have. And what did that look like to surrender your heart to Jesus? I mean, that's probably something some of us have heard a lot, right? So I'm curious, how did you first surrender? Were you at a summer camp? Did you hear a wonderful message? Were you in the, in, the, um, in the intimate space of your own room or your own place where you just dropped to your knees and surrendered? I think about my husband's experience, how that he always knew he was going to hell. There was never a question in his mind growing up. And he stayed as far away from church as he could get. And he and his buddies used to joke about how that when they went to hell, how many parties they would have. <laughs> And how that they, <laughs> they would just be a place where they would just all be together and still be having some fun somehow. And then he recalls how that um, he uh, was always homecoming king of his football team and uh, captain of his basketball team. And he was always all that in a bag of chips in his hometown. In fact, to this day, when he goes back to his hometown, they're like, Patrick's in town. And I mean, the town comes out, really. And he dated this girl that was, his, was the homecoming queen, and they were together for like four years, and everybody just knew they would get married. And during that time, he was not faithful to her, but that was different. One day, she was unfaithful to him, and it broke his heart, totally devastated him. And he realized at the young and tender age of 20 that he would probably not make a very good husband, and as he looked around, he 
thought to himself that probably he would divorce at some point because that's what his parents did and that's what a lot of people did. And as he looked around at his world, it became very dismal. And he says in his own words that he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And one night, he was on his way home from work, and as he was going through his rock and roll stations, he paused at a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And he doesn't recall that the preacher was talking about going to hell, but he was a fiery speaker. And he went home and he started his bath. He always takes a bath at night. And he turned off the water and he sank to his knees and he said a prayer like this. Dear God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Please forgive me of my sins and make me a new man. In Jesus' name, amen. Took his bath, went to bed. He'd never prayed before in his life. Never been taught to pray. But he said, it's interesting how in the soul of every human being is the ability to pray. And he crawled into bed that night, and when he woke up in the morning, he was changed. He was so excited. He woke up and he thought, something is new. God accepted me and came into my heart. And he went to work and he shared with everyone that he got saved last night. And everyone said, did you go to a revival? Did someone lead you to the cross? He said, no. They said, that's not how it happens. He said, that's how it happened to me. And he got off work early and he went down to the Bible bookstore and he bought a cross. And he wore it on a necklace. Because as he knew somewhere in the Bible, it says, take up your cross and follow me. And he bought a Bible, and he only knew one scripture in the Bible, and that was Jesus wept. His grandma made him memorize that when he was a kid, because it was the shortest verse in the Bible. He had never heard of John 3, 16. And so he had a conversion, a, a time in his life where he surrendered his life. And then my great-grandparents used to go listen to James and Ellen. And so I'm a fifth-generation Seventh-day Adventist on my side of the family. And then I met this guy and married him, and he's so excited about this truth and how beautiful this truth is and how awesome all these truths are and that you don't have to believe that when you die, you go somewhere or you're you know, somewhere hovering around and that God does not burn people throughout all eternity. And he just thinks these truths are amazing. And I married him, and I thought, wow, he's really excited. What's he excited about? I've known this forever. Then I realized I needed to get excited. Amen? So for me, surrender has been very different. I don't have a time in my life where I remember. The, the earliest memory that I have is probably around three or four years old, walking with my mom down the sidewalk and seeing a little yellow dandelion. I didn't know. I mean, my mother tells me now that's what that yellow flower was. Bending over with my bottom in the air, you know how little kids bend over? Looking at that flower and saying, pretty, such a pretty flower, Mama, wanting to pick it for her. And having her bend down by me and look me in the face and say, Sissy, Jesus knew you were going to walk this way today. And he grew that flower just for you. So the, from the time I was a very little girl, I knew Jesus adored me. I wasn't sure if he adored you, but I knew he adored me. <laughs>
And you know, that is a precious thing that parents can instill in their children, that Jesus adores them. And do you know what? I'm learning anew every day that Jesus still adores me. How about you? And I'm learning to believe it not because of what I see in my life that has ever been deserving. Choosing to ignore Satan's hissing in my ear that I'm not deserving, that's the truth. But choosing to believe the word of God that says that I am bought with a price, that Jesus is thinking of me before I wake up in the morning, and out of all those sperm, he chose me. And I'm a nurse, so I get to say those things. But truly, God chose us, he ordained us, he anointed us. That's the other thing I learned this morning in my devotions. We are anointed. Every day as we choose Christ and ask for the Holy Spirit to come in, we are anointed. We need to walk with our heads up because we are anointed by the God of the universe to be little vessels just shining his love through that new anointing of the Holy Spirit every day. And that's why Paul said he died daily, because every day you get to make a choice. And every day, God is the same gentleman who does exactly what you wish him to do and nothing more and nothing less. And I want more. How about you? Amen. So the other thing is, what did you do when you first made that surrender? What did that look like? And I just want us to contemplate that. And how did you feel when you first surrendered to Jesus? Was there a wonderful weight that may have lifted from your shoulders? Or maybe there was no feeling at all. It was a decision you made because you saw what a great sacrifice he made for you. What was it? How did you feel? Now, I'll tell you this. You cannot go by your feelings in this walk. But God gives you feelings. Hallelujah. And I really enjoy it. The days he gives me feelings that are, make me feel so close to him. And other days, I just remind myself of his promises and I keep walking. Amen? Regardless of how I feel. And then I want to ask you this question, what changed? When you surrendered your life to God, did you walk away from that experience and continue to live the way you always have? And I don't mean sin versus righteousness. I just mean, did you continue to see yourself as a sinner that was undeserving of his grace? Or did you begin to change the way you saw yourself as you saw yourself through God's eyes? And I have to say this one, I'm, I'm learning and growing in more than ever before. Now, at 57, rather than earlier in my life. Because I find that sometimes I haven't been able to wrap my mind around the promises of God. I haven't been able to really wrap my mind around that whole that I'm anointed thing. Or that he adores me. Or that he doesn't remember my sins. Have you wrapped your mind around that? But go to 1 Kings is it 8.15 or 15.8, where it talks about God talking about King David and saying, how about my servant who always kept my commandments and walked with me? You're like, oh, excuse me, you forgot a huge chapter. <laughs> That's right, he does. He says that he forgets. He forgives and forgets, remembers no more. Have you wrapped your mind around that? Do you believe that? Or do you do allow Satan to bring up your past to you too many times where you almost feel like you have to re-say you're sorry? God's already moved on. 
So these questions are for us then and now, I think. Unquestioning confidence. I ran off without my Bible. I was running so hard to get here. But I will tell you that, I, yes, can I? I just want to hold it up. I just want to say, when I think of the Word of God, do I have unquestioning confidence in this Word? Do I have unquestioning confidence in this? Or do it depends on the day? I mean, this Word is power. This is Jesus in written form. So these words are holy. That's why we treat the Bible reverently. So this is the Word of God. If we're on the run somewhere or out of our house with a fire, this is what we don't want to leave behind. Amen? It's the Word of God. And we can carry it in our hearts, can't we? We can carry it in our hearts by faith as we memorize His Word. So holiness is not rapture. It's not a feeling. It can be. It can have wonderful feelings. But it's the entire surrender of the will to, will to God. It's living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's doing the will of our Heavenly Father. It's trusting God in trial, in darkness, as well as the light. It's walking by faith and not by sight. It's relying on God with unquestioning confidence and resting in His love. Now, I want you to go with me to the children of Israel. If I could make a, a picture, I could show you where the promised land was and where um, Egypt was and where the Red Sea was. And it certainly was not a straight line, right, that he took them through. But if God in your life, and there are times he is, taking you to the Red Sea when you're not, like this is making no sense at all. And as we learned this morning in our 7 o'clock meeting, God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that the Philistines, or excuse me, he knew that the Egyptians would never give up chasing down those Israelites and wiping them out. So he chose to get rid of them through the sea. Amen? And that's what he did. So what are the trials in your life? What's going on at work or at home or in a relationship where you feel like you are in front of the Red Sea and there's no way out and it makes no sense to you why God would allow this? I want to submit to you that if we surrender, I have surrendered our lives to God entirely, we will look back and see that Red Sea experience as something absolutely phenomenal, important, and very pivotal in our walk with God. And I believe that by faith. It doesn't always feel like it. I'm going through something at work right now, and I'm just trusting God that there is something that he is doing, and may he be glorified. Amen? May he be glorified. So, why should we surrender? Paul entreated the Christian believer to make an entire surrender to God, for he knew that when the soul fails to make the surrender, then sin is not forsaken. The appetites and passions still strive for the mastery, and temptations confuse the conscience. So God know, knew, knows that in order for us to have a life transformation, we need to surrender the whole, our whole selves. Now, you know what I love? I love Steps to Christ. I love how Elder Gallimore told us one time that if you want to understand the 1888 message, just read Steps to Christ. Steps to Christ is the 1888 message in verity. It's everything. It's amazing. I read it, and I read it over again. It's just incredible. But I love it because in there, oftentimes what we recognize is it's one thing to make a verbal consent or assent to a, a surrender to God, but it's another thing 
for God to come in and totally change appetites and passions that strive for the mastery and temptations that confuse us. So I'll give you an example. If you were in my class before, I'm walking down the road singing, all to Jesus I surrender, and the Lord brings a person to my mind. And I said, and all to Jesus I surrender, everything but that. <laughs> because I didn't want to think about that. Why? Because it was overwhelming. Why? Because I know it couldn't change my heart about that person. Why? Because honestly, I didn't even want to give up my feelings for that person. How's that for honesty? But then quickly, the Holy Spirit said, Tammy, I only bring this to you. All of a sudden, it's like a rain cloud came over my walk. But it's like the Holy Spirit said, Tammy, I didn't bring this to you to be a downer. You're singing a praise song to me, and then all of a sudden, I hit you with a zinger. That wasn't my, my intent. My intent was to show you one more thing I need you to give to me, and I'll take care of all your feelings and emotions about it. I said, oh, that's so much easier. Okay, yes. You can, I, I, sir, I, I'm willing to be made willing. You take that, Lord. That's all he wants. He doesn't ask you to do anything you can't do, and the Lord knows you can't be changing your heart. Haven't y'all tried? I've tried. So I like to think of my house, my soul, like a house. So I have lots of rooms in my house, right? You have a, a dining room, and you have a living room. Uh, you might even have a formal dining room, and you have a kitchen. I don't always let God in the kitchen. I don't know about you. And then you have closets and you have bedrooms and you might have a basement. And we have lots of rooms in our soul. And when we first invite Jesus in, sometimes it's just into the living room, you know? And we start there. And then little by little, he, as a gentleman, he knocks and asks, could we go into this closet? No, not that one. Oh, okay. God is such a gentleman. But little by little, as we open the doors in our soul to God, he will come in and he will make everything right. Everything right. Those closets that you stuff everything in before companies coming because you don't have time to sort them. Those are the closets he loves to come in and take care of and organize, reorganize for us and show us what parts to put in the goodwill or the burn barrel, right? <laughs> All right. So our, our soul is like a house. And I like to have a, a word picture of that. And then I, I invite God in little by little. He comes in. Welcome. And then I love Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, or some versions say servants, that you are the one that um, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I always think that's such interesting language because it's true, isn't it? We are not our own. We are either controlled, harassed, and chained, or we are become slaves of righteousness, which frees us to actually be empowered to live our lives with self-control and self-guidance. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't come in to control you. I used to think as a teenager, wait a second, it's like I choose the control of the devil or the control of God. It all felt so controlling. And then you come to the place where you're like, just control me, put a computer chip in, I just want to do what's right, right? I've experienced enough of not doing what's right, and it's not fun. But then you come to the place where God says, Tammy, 
I want you and I to be friends. Not just your creator and savior. I want to be friends. I want to empower you to have self-governance, self-control, to be able to make an informed decision as you read my word and to make a decision on that and then have the power to follow through. Amen? Hallelujah. So being a servant or a slave of righteousness is ultimate freedom. Amen? So, so then I have to ask myself, have I allowed Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to come into every single room in my house? Now, some of you might say, what does this have to do with children's ministries? And I kind of asked Linda Gallimore that, too, when I told her what I was going to present. But you know what it has to do with? There is more influence in the way you live your lives in front of those children than what you will ever say to them. Don't you see what permeates from the very pores in your body? Those children will take in in ways that you will say, I never said those things, but in their hearts you did. So what is it that you are permeating into your classrooms? What is it that God is flowing through your, your complete being so that those children are incredibly drawn to the Jesus who has taken up tabernacle in you? That's what we want more than anything. Children don't listen so much to what we say as they watch what we do, right? That mother, you know, who's smacking her kids on the legs while she's smiling, waving people in the parking lot of church, you know? <laughs> that was me. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Are we walking the talk? Are we walking the talk? I want to be freed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So help from heaven. I love this. I mean, can you just picture yourself here? The surrender must be complete. Every weak, doubting, struggling soul who yields freely to the Lord is placed in direct touch with agencies that enable him or her to overcome. Heaven is near to him, and he has the support and help of angels of mercy every, in every time of trial and need. Don't you love that picture up there? Every time of trial and need, we can call upon the agencies of heaven, they are there. Don't you know that every one of you, as you surrender yourself to God, he sends angels, a legion if necessary, to surround you and help you? Don't you know that when you're tempted to give way to appetite or anger or irritation or frustration because you're exhausted or things aren't going right, that you can send up a prayer and, and extra agencies will be sent? Don't you know that Satan has absolutely no power over you? He cannot touch you. He cannot touch the hairs of your head without God's consent. And he only consents if it would be a blessing to us or we would want to praise him through that experience. Hallelujah. So if God charts my journey and as I commit my life to him, he is absolutely placing agencies around me to give me victory, then I don't have to worry anymore and gaze at my belly button and inspect my righteousness, since I don't have any anyway. Amen? We just need to keep ourselves here. Oh, if we could just picture ourselves in the morning as we commit our lives to God, the agencies from heaven who surround us, who are helping us to know God in ways they will never be able to know him. That's a quote. Agencies from heaven who actually come and woo our hearts to help us to connect with Jesus in a connection they will never fully understand and long to understand. And we will travel to different worlds explaining how it feels and how it was to experience that relationship with God. I tell you, we need to put our, our names in the Word and ourselves in these beautiful pictures 
um, that are given to us in God's word. So surrender. If we surrender our lives to his service, we can never be placed in a position for which God has not made provision. Oh, that's a big order. That's a tall order. Have you ever been asked to do something at church because there was no one else? <laughs> and so it was really easy to say, I'm sorry, that's not my gift. But then you promised you'd pray about it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds righteous anyway. So you went home to pray about it, how you should tell them no. <laughs> and then the Lord impresses you, I'd really like you to do that. You're like, I can't do that. Remember Moses, I can't talk. It's been a long time since I've been out of the palace, right? No, this is saying that it doesn't matter. There is no place that you're put in that God has not made provision for that. No temptation comes to you that God has not made provision. And guess what? You're not alone. Everybody in this whole room, we're all so much alike, you wouldn't believe it. If we had a big confession party, we'd be shocked. Amen? Or horrified or encouraged, one or the other, the three. Okay. Whatever may be our situation, we have a guide to direct our way. Whatever our perplexities, anybody got perplexities? Oh, a few of you. Okay. Um, we have a sure counselor. Whatever our sorrows, anybody sorrows? How about bereavement? Have you lost anyone really precious to you? Okay. All right. Um, and um, how about loneliness? Anyone experience loneliness? We have a sympathizing friend. Do you remember I shared that about my daughter last time some of you were here? She is now seeing God as a friend, someone who really cares about what she might think or have to say to her, someone who really wants to hear what she's going through and what she's thinking. If in our ignorance we make missteps, ever made missteps, anybody? Y'all too tired to raise your hands. Okay, Christ does not leave us. How many of you have made missteps and you were sure God left you? Just feels like he's got to have left me. I made such a fool out of myself. Or I did such a terrible thing. I sinned in the full light of his glory. I knew exactly what I was doing and premeditated it. You know? Seriously. And yet, it says, Jesus does not leave us. His voice, clear and distinct, is heard saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him that has no helper. You ever feel like you have no helper? Is this not a beautiful thing? Look at all those beautiful scriptures in there. John 14, 6, Psalms 72, 12, and Christ's Object Lessons 173. This is a beautiful one. If you could just take one, this would be good. So I have to tell you a personal experience. Um, there's this awful show, and if you watch it, I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you my conviction. And it's called The Bachelor. Well, every woman loves a love story. I just think it's so romantic. And I remember when The Bachelor first came out, and I thought, oh, this would just be so awesome to watch. Well, if you've ever watched any part of it, some of you I can tell by your faces, you know enough to know. <laughs> it's kind of diabolical. You know, this guy makes out with all these women, and then in the end, he chooses one. And it's between two, so he always breaks somebody's heart, and it's just a fiasco. And it's not based in reality at all. So I started watching it, and the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me rest, you know. So I left off. Are you proud of me? I was pretty proud of me. Anyway, that's always a danger, too. But anyway, I thought, you know, I just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, can't be watching this, right? So several, who knows, a year went by, months went by. And um, I'm on my elliptical on a cold winter 
evening. I think it was a Sunday night. Yeah. And I'm watching the news, and a commercial comes on. And it said, next Sunday, a week from today or tomorrow, yeah, today, there's going to be the the two-hour special where the bachelor proposes to one of the two. Now, I hadn't followed it. I didn't know anything about who. But I thought to myself, that wouldn't be so bad. I'm just going to watch the proposal. And I want to see what they're wearing, the gowns that the women are wearing. And it, it should be very romantic, you know, and they set the stage. It's going to be great. I just really want to see that. That won't be so bad. I won't have watched all the making out and all that terrible stuff. I'll just be watching the proposal. And so I got off my elliptical and I started up the stairs. Now I want you to go with me through my house because this is how quickly things happen in your head. So I'm walking up the stairs and the Holy Spirit says, you know, does that fit in with um, Philippians 4.8? Because he knows that's one of my favorite scriptures. I use that all the time for thoughts. Any negative thoughts, critical thoughts, X-rated thoughts. I just say, um, whatsoever things, and they're gone. Because the Lord has given me a scripture for each one of my problems. And I'm not going to tell you how many scriptures I have. So anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going up the stairs, and the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, but how does that, you know, even though you're just watching the proposal, how does that fit in with whatsoever things? I thought, yeah, but you know what? I was dead set I was going to watch it. Have you ever been there? It would only be made better with a two-pound bag of bridge mix. But anyway, so I'm walking through the hallway now. <laughs> now, y'all, I saw some of your faces. Don't judge. You have your own thing. So I'm walking through the hallway, and, um, and now the Holy Spirit says something else to me. You know how the Holy Spirit talks. It's not a voice. It's an impression. But it's very soft and gentle. But it's definitely, distinctly his voice. And he said, you know what's sad about this, though, Tammy? What's sad is tomorrow morning when we have our devotions, when we meet together, you're not, we're not going to be able to go very deep because, you know, because you have this plan. And I thought, oh, that's sad. That's true. But I'm still going to do it, right? So I'm walking down the hall. I'm sorry to tell you this story, but it gets, it gets good. So I walked out. Now I go into my bedroom. I'm heading into my bathroom to take a shower. And I'm feeling sad about that. That's going to be a whole week of surface uh, devotions. And so I go in my bathroom. I turn on the shower. I get ready to get in the shower. And all of a sudden, I drop to my knees in that little rug in front of my shower and I just blurted it out. It wasn't even premeditated that I would drop to my knees. I said, Lord Jesus, unless you change my heart and my mind, I'm going to do this. Instantly, wild horses couldn't have dragged me to watch that show. Just confessing, Lord, unless you do something. I didn't even say help, but my heart did. Unless you do something. And the next week when that show came in, I wasn't even home. And I wasn't even tempted. And when it came to my mind, how about it didn't even tempt me? Let me ask you something. Was that, did that have anything to do with Tammy? No! It had everything to do with the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what this is saying. This is saying that he will deliver the needy when he cries and the poor also and him who hath no helper. The Lord knew I needed a helper. Amen? So let me submit to you this. Your favorite is sin, the sin that so easily besets you. 
the one that you hate but still rears its ugly head, just give it to God. He already knows you have it. And say, Lord, transform my heart and mind so that that no longer even has a pull. Help me to, I love my husband's prayer. Help me to hate the things you hate and love the things you love. Isn't that beautiful? And that's a God thing. That's why we, when we get to heaven, we will say, Lord, it was a gift and heaven is cheap enough. And all I gave up was misery and you did the rest. Hallelujah. Can you all say hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. All right. Welcome. So possessed by love. How many of you want to be possessed? <laughs> it's kind of a scary word if you think of it. God, God, good works do not purchase the love of God. How many of you can say hallelujah? Good works do not purchase the love of God, but they reveal that we are possess that love. So good works are the fruit of the love that comes into our lives. I have tried many times to prove to God that I love him by doing good works. But God has shown me it's backwards, Tammy. Just allow me to fill your, your soul, you know, that little house that we talked about. Help me, let me fill all those rooms and you will just have, you will possess the love of God within your being. If we surrender to the will of God, so let's stop right there. I can't surrender my will. But you know what? I can choose for God to take it. So every morning I say, Father, my, my desire is that you take my will and transform it, recreate it to reflect your own so that by following my impulses today, they'll all be from you. That the Holy Spirit will completely influence my thoughts, motives, feelings, emotions, impulses, that the Holy Spirit will be in charge of all those. And then it goes on to say, we shall not work in order to earn God's love. His love is a free gift and it will be received into the soul. And from love to him, we shall delight to obey his commandments. Oh, I've got to keep God's commandments. It's the three angels' message. When I have to keep the commandments, how am I ever going to keep the commandments? Guess what? You don't. The Holy Spirit writes them in your heart and in your mind. And then by following your own impulses that are renewed by the Spirit every day, you will keep his commandments. Hallelujah. I love this. Really and truly, salvation is so easy. What makes it difficult is that whole little surrender we're talking about. Making the decision to say, Lord, unless you help me, I'm going to do this sin. And then he will help you. He has promised to send those agencies. So I love that God thinks of things so much different than we. I don't know about you, but I really pride myself at work. I'm very efficient and I can get a lot done. I can get so much done that I go home at night and marvel at myself. <laughs> now some of you are really like that <laughs> but seriously maybe it's being the oldest of seven kids maybe it's I don't know what it was but I really know how to do things fast and efficiently but I noticed that God doesn't judge our work that way it's very interesting it says however lowly any work done for God with a full surrender of self is acceptable to him as the highest service what is the most important work done are we told in this world? That of the mother in the home, more than that of that of the evangelist in the pulpit. The mother in her home has the most sacred and beautiful work. Isn't that beautiful? So God's way of looking and measuring importance is very different, and I love that about him. No offering is small that is given with true heart, 
heartedness and gladness of soul. It's not the length of time we labor, but our willingness and our fidelity and the work that makes it acceptable to God. In all our service as full surrender of self-demanded, the smallest duty done in sincerity and self-forgetfulness is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when marred with self-seeking. He regards more the love and the faithfulness with which we work than the amount that we do. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes we have to remember that in our devotions. It's not how many chapters you get through that's important to God, if you're reading your Bible through. It's taking the time to allow the Holy Spirit to work those into our life. Taking the time to meditate upon the Word of God and not necessarily seeing it as a means to an end. So I really like that. I love seeing the mind of God, seeing in the eyes of God. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him, and we live what? We live his life. How many of you want to live his life? Amen. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, as you go into your classrooms and you are living the life of Christ in front of those children and those youth and those adults, what an influence will be yours built upon the lives of others? That's what we want. You can have the worst or the best curriculum, but to have the life of God lived out in front of those young people, that is what we desire. So truly to be a good teacher is honestly being a good student at the feet of Jesus. And he will pour into you examples and ideas and illustrations and stories and things that will help the youth to understand a glimpse of God. And he will do that through you and in spite of you. And you will often go home and think, I don't know that I did that well. Or I'm not sure that any of that made sense. I didn't see that any hearts were touched today, but we will only know in eternity. And I love that quote that says, many will come to us, fall on our necks, and weep and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't you want that? I just want one person to fall on my neck and say thank you. It will be worth it all. And it certainly won't be anything I did, right? But if the spirit of the living God lives his life through me, I will live his life. And you cannot live the life of God without drawing people to Jesus. By your unconscious influence, you can draw people to Jesus. Then as the Lord looks upon us, he sees not the fig leaf garment, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but his own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. Perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah is the law of liberty, which is love. It is God in you. God is love. It's not about love. He isn't just loving. He is love. And everyone loves to be loved. Children love to be loved. Adults love to be loved. And I love loving. It makes me happy. How about you? I love that. I chose a beautiful robe up there. May not appeal much to you men, but I just thought that that looked like something I'd like to, to wear, and it was quite beautiful. Amen? 
I even now and then pray about the dimensions of that rope, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> so what is your atmosphere? We just talked about living the life of God. I love this in Christ's Objects Lesson. Every soul is surrounded by an atmosphere of its own. An atmosphere, it may be, and I mentioned I, this quote to you last meeting, but I brought it this time. Charged with the life-giving power of faith, courage, and hope, and sweet with the fragrance of love. See, I didn't explain it nearly as well as this does, does it? So how many of you want that one? That's the influence I want. Or it may be heavy and chill with the gloom of discontent and selfishness. Just discontent, <gasps> casting about. I have to get this right. This isn't quite right. That freneticness that I described in our last meeting. Or poisonous with the deadly taint of cherished sin. So do our children and youth sense that atmosphere? They do. We just talked about that. It will not be so much our words as the atmosphere that we brought that draw people to the Lord. Or in this case, shun them. But the atmosphere surrounding us, every person by this atmosphere with whom we come in contact is consciously or unconsciously affected. So I just want you to know that's why the Holy Spirit impressed me to talk about surrender. Because every day that is what will make us successful in the ministry of our Sabbath schools, regardless of his youth, adults, or children. You will be living the life of Jesus when you walk in front of them, when you walk into the classroom. That is what it means to live the life of Jesus. Amen. And I, I tell you, I just love it. When I go to bed at night, it's not that I look back over my day to see how many good things I did, but I can feel so happy when I look over those divine appointments God gave me and know that they were from him. Amen. It's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's addicting in the most beautiful way. Now, I did share with you, too, that there's an atmosphere of grace that surrounds our planet. Remember, we talked about that last time, that just as there's an atmosphere of oxygen so that we breathe every day, otherwise we would die, we're told in the spirit of prophecy there's an atmosphere of grace that surrounds this planet, and we have the privilege of breathing it in every day. And so when I wake up in the morning, I take a breath, I thank God for my life, I say, Lord, today, this morning as I spend time with you, let that atmosphere of grace be breathed into my very being. And then I imagine that. I take deep breaths. Amen? We live into these beautiful promises. Imparted grace. This is a responsibility from which we cannot free ourselves. We're talking about that, that influence that we all have. So we're not free of it. We have some influence. Our words, our acts, our dress, our deportment, even the expression on the countenance has an influence upon the impression thus made. There hangs results for good or evil, which no man can measure. Isn't that, isn't that um, powerful and sobering? Every impulse thus imparted is seed sown, which will, may, or probably, which will, absolutely will produce its harvest. It is a link in the long chain of human events, extending we know not whither. If by our example we aid others in the development of good principles, we give them power to do good. In their turn, they exert the same influence upon others. It's like a domino effect. And they still upon others. Thus, by our unconscious influence, thousands may be blessed. 
I recall as a very little girl, we would go to my great-grandmother's house, and she was so old and so soft. That's what I remember. I was very young. But we would fight over who got to sleep with her because she was so soft and cuddly, and she would cuddle up to you. You thought you were in heaven when you were with my great-grandmother. But when I got to sleep with her, we would kneel down by her bed before we would hop in, and she would pray around me. She would kneel behind me and put her arms around me. And I remember by then she had taken off her teeth, out her teeth. And I loved to kiss her cheeks when she took out her teeth. I know this sounds really weird. Maybe I was a weird child. But her cheeks were so soft when I would kiss her cheeks. But she would put her arms around me and she would pray through the long list of people. She had eight kids and then they had lots of kids and then they had lots of kids and I was those other kids. So she would pray for them all and it was a very long time but I was leaning over her bed and then she was around me and I could doze if I wanted to but I kept one ear open because she always came down to me, my name. And she would pray for me. She would pray God's blessing on my life, that he would set me aside for a special purpose, and that in heaven we would all be young again, and how we would do so many things together. And as I listened to her prayers, I never peeked, because if I did, I knew God would be right there. Not that I was afraid to look, but it was too holy to open my eyes. Those are my earliest memories of being four, five, and six with my great-grandmother. And then we would hop in bed, and she probably prayed I wouldn't wet the bed. But anyway, <laughs> but she would cuddle up to me, and it was a wonderful thing. Those are memories I've not forgotten. And they have totally played into my life down through the ages. And who is to know those powerful prayers that went up? I love the quote that says, When a mother dies and her eyes are closed in death, her prayers continue to ascend before the throne of grace. My mother rests in her grave because of a drunk driving accident, but her prayers continue to ascend for each of her seven children. And I know that to be true and often remind the Lord of those powerful prayers. Don't forget those mamas. Don't forget that. All right, the joy of surrender. Is there freedom in surrender? There is freedom. You know, when I was walking and the rain cloud settled and the guy's name came up and I said, yeah, no, not him. Let's not talk about that. You know, and then I told the story about gossiping and saying something slanderous about that one guy and then going and repenting. Oh, the next day when I took my walk with the Lord, I just felt light as a feather as I walked along. There's nothing like being released from the burden of guilt. Amen? There's nothing like it. In fact, Dr. Mayo, who founded Mayo Clinic, he said that 90% of the illnesses he saw at Mayo Clinic were due to unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, and guilt. Sorrow, guilt. Our brain and our, you know, you hear a lot about gut-brain connection. Well, trust me, it has everything to do with us spiritually too. The body is in sympathy with the mind, and the mind is in sympathy with the body, but if our minds are not at rest, they cause discontent within our bodies. Important to know. I understand very clearly that I do not have a love for Jesus, that that's a gift. How many of you recognize that? I do not love Jesus more than I love self. And I hate to tell you that, but what I love is that I can come to Jesus and say, please, Lord, you're the creator. 
take care of self and please sit and reign supremely on the throne of my heart and he will do that and then when i find myself low on love for jesus i can ask him for it i just say more of you lord expand my capacity to receive you because that's saying expand my capacity to love amen hallelujah and i'm happy to know that commandment keeping is beyond my human ability <laughs> and that's what god always wanted me to know because that's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life so that I can stand and go free, but also so that I can have the power of Jesus Christ working in me to live his commandments and to be sinless by his grace, not knowing it, but walking in grace. Amen? So I love that about God is that I'm happy to know that it's as I receive the Holy Spirit that the commandments are put upon my heart and my mind. And then I want to accept all of his gifts offered to me. I want you all to leave saying, I am anointed by God, because that's what the scripture says. You are anointed by the Holy Spirit to live your life, to live Jesus to the world. And every day as you live into that anointing by accepting the Holy Spirit anew, you will be living his life every day out in front of your children, in front of your house, spouse, in front of everyone you come in contact with. And sometimes it may come out in ways that startle you, or you may not have planned for yourself, but God always knows what he's doing. You can trust him. And then also rejoice in the great and incomprehensible salvation. I often walk, walk and I say, Lord, thank you for this great salvation. Oh, Lord, thank you. I cannot believe I know this truth. I know this truth and I can know that I'm in Christ today. Thank you that if you came right now and the sky split open, my feet would leave the ground. Not because I'm holy, but because you are and I am claiming your holiness. Amen? This is a wonderful truth. And if we really lived our lives like we believed it and knew it for ourselves, how would it look? How would it look? Hallelujah. So I love this. People are influenced by a lot of things. One is beauty. Did you know beauty is a talent? Because people are drawn to beauty. People are drawn to beautiful people, externally beautiful people, especially those who shine beauty. People are drawn to them. I was always very sad that my mother prayed that her daughters would not be too beautiful. Just think how gorgeous I could have been if she hadn't prayed that prayer. And I did not pray that prayer when I carried my babies. But she used to tell us she prayed that. It was very disheartening to me. But anyway, character, though, is power. The silent witness of a true, unselfish, godly life carries an almost what? Irresistible influence. And we were talking about that influence. By revealing, I don't think that's the right by, sorry. By revealing in our own life the character of Christ, we cooperate with him in the work of saving souls. And the wider the sphere of our influence, the more good we may do. When every act bores, bears witness that we love God supremely and our neighbors as ourselves, then, that's supposed to be then, then will the church have power to move the world. Hallelujah. Then will we, as a church, have power to move the world. That is beautiful. Who's the church? We are. We can have every day power to move the world by having and saving souls, by possessing within ourselves the life and character of Jesus Christ by faith. Wow. Hallelujah. 
That's beautiful. Soul winning in shoes. The unstudied, unconscious influence of a holy life is the most convincing sermon that can be given in favor of the Christianity. Argument, even when unanswerable, may provoke only opposition, but a godly example has the power that is impossible to wholly resist. Hallelujah. So our examples to our young people, our examples in our community and at our workplaces, when people argue with this, or they think we're weird or different, or we're under the law or whatever, they're still watching the way we live our lives. And that is a sermon all in itself, more powerful than that of a, the preacher behind the pulpit, is how are we living into this beautiful truth that we possess? Am I radiating Jesus Christ? My mother used to say, speaking back to beauty, when I was a teenager, I'd be primping in front of the mirror. She said, Sissy, honey, you, you're, you and your sisters are average. And I thought, yeah, thanks to you. But anyway, <laughs> she said, you are average, but when Jesus fills your heart, you are beautiful. You shine, Jesus. And I thought, Jesus, fill my heart. Now, I have to say it was for all selfish motives. <laughs> but is it not true? Have you not ever met someone that just glowed Jesus and they were beautiful? If you were to pick apart their features, maybe not so much, but truly they glowed him and they were just beautiful. And you know what? That is an impossible power to resist as the beauty of Christ's life lived out in front of us. That is a beautiful thing. And that's what I want. That's what I want. So my question for you today is, would you like to surrender again? Perhaps you've surrendered your life and perhaps you've surrendered your weaknesses and your humanity and your and your sins and things like that to God. But would you like to surrender to him this? And that is, Lord, I want to believe and live into that beautiful scripture that says that I am anointed. I've received an anointing. Jesus Christ was anointed to preach the gospel of love to the universe. We are called upon to be vessels containing the very person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and to live out our lives, beginning right now, glowing and shining his love. I would like to surrender and accept by God's grace today all that this word says about me. That by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no situation that comes to me where, by where that God has not made provision. He's made provision for every impossible situation, impossible relationship in my life. He's made provision in this word. And that's what I want to surrender my life to. Not my own ideas and ideals, not my own goals for myself to do for God, but whatever he may want to do for me, through me, in spite of me. And it may be something very simple that to me doesn't really seem that important. But only in eternity will we recognize how God was able to use each one of us in a way nobody else in this room could. He created us specifically for a purpose in glorifying him that would, none, one, make us incredibly happy. Because when you're living out what you were created for, just like a, a piece of machinery that's created to run smoothly for a, per, a certain purpose, that is when everything works the best and you're happiest, Amen. So in living out that life in glory to God, we will be completely fulfilled and happy. And when we get to heaven, God will show us how our influence was so important in the hand of grace offered to other people. That's what I want. I don't want to waste any more time 
and small thinking and small living, but to live largely of love. How about you? Anybody else want to make that commitment today? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit's power, for these beautiful quotes and scriptures that assure us that we were created for your honor and for your glory. We were bought with an incredible price. We already know what you think about us. You adore us. You've created us. You bought us back from the evil one. You rescued us from ourself and from Satan. And you're building a mansion for us. And this life with you, because heaven begins here, is just starting. And we have eternity with you. Father in heaven, I can't help myself. I'm so self-centered that I think about everything around how it has to do with me. I think about how will this affect me or that affect me? Or will I be miserable if this happens? Or if God doesn't help me here, then I won't be happy. And what I realize, Lord, is I'm so eye-centered that I can't help myself. And I know my brothers and sisters are the same. So I pray through the power in the name of Jesus that you would remove self from off the throne and out of our eyesight and that you would take up tabernacle in us so that we will be free from this terrible barnacle of self that hangs on and that we can live our lives in a huge way loving others for you. So Lord, fill us, we pray, with an extra portion of your spirit. And may heaven become, begin again and anew right now and here. And we thank you in the name of your dear son who promised he who began a good work in you, Tammy, and in your brothers and sisters will complete it. Philippians 1.6. So we praise you for this in Jesus' precious name. With thanksgiving, amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.